I'd like to share with you a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Paramount's Yogananda's Book of Prayer Demands. And this is a demand. Impediments beware, flee my path, I am homeward bound. Through the long corridors of time, stumbling often into pits of error, then lifted out by thy unseen hand, I've walked painfully. Discouraging darkness, barbed wire fences of habit, stony embankments of indolence, mountains of indifference, oceans of unfaithfulness, sirens of sense longing may stand even now in my path, as if to prevent my march onward to thy palace. But a million kingdoms and sextillions of years of unblenished worldly happiness will never tempt me again to turn away from thee. And the title of this one is called, I Demand to Return Home. You know, the parable of the prodigal son is, is a very comforting way of understanding who we are as devotees on the spiritual path. I think it brings solace and, and just a deeper, more open-heartedness for all of us to read and reread this parable. Because the, the truth is that God will never turn away from us. It is only we that turn away from God. And we've turned away from God many, many, many times, over many, many lifetimes. And even then we forget the truth of God's unconditional love for us. And we're humbled when we've suffered enough, when we've been bored enough, as Master would say, then we come back. But you know, in the verses preceding the one that Parvati read from the parable of the prodigal son, it's at, it adds a little bit more the circumstance and the details, and you probably all remember them but to refresh them for you, that, that the son, the youngest of the two sons of this man, requests that he be given his share of his wealth as being one of the inheritors, even though the father was still living. And so the father did this. And in a few days, the son went off. And he went off to faraway lands. And he squandered the wealth. It actually says in some interpretations of the parable of the prodigal son, he squandered in loose living, meaning that he indulged in his ego senses, that the senses predominated, the senses in a sense commanded him. They allowed him to indulge in those senses and reduced him to being someone that didn't have his own sense of being centered anymore. Because that's the allegory that this parable is about. It's about what happens to you and I. It isn't just a story that we read in the Bible. It's what happens over and over again to each devotee exploring what their deeper reality is. And then famine hits the land where this man has gone off to and he has no resources left. 
and he's talking with someone that has a farm and he says, could I work as a hired hand on your farm to feed the swine with the, the pods as they refer to it in the parable. And he desires to eat those pods himself. He is so famished, but no one has offered that to him. And then he says to himself, the servants for my father on his land are much better off than I am. I will humbly go to my father and ask to be one of his servants. And then the verse comes in that Parvati read that the father at a distance sees him and is joy filled of joyous expectancy of his son returning and lays out all these special situations for him to know that he is, he had been lost and now he is found. So the parable is also very instructive. It's not only deeply, deeply comforting to us, but very instructive. And it has to do with a number of points. And one of them is this, that even after he has squandered his wealth, he doesn't see the light of day. And that's Maya, that's delusion. That's what happens when we really go the direction of our ego, that we're blinded even when we have suffered. But it takes even greater pain, greater suffering for him to finally readjust his sights to what is my life is about? What is it that I'm doing here? And as he said, he'd be better off being a servant on his father's land than here, unable to function at all, not able to eat even. And we think it's a nice story, but it is an allegory. It is something. You can hear the echo of my being here. I was saying to the other ministers in the vestry that maybe you'll get two of me today. Um, hopefully one of them is good. So, um, but it's interesting because the, the parable allows us to understand what can happen, but it also instructs us as to how we can change what seems to be our circumstances. We can still choose to move in the right direction. Again, the son is saying, I don't expect to have my father accepting me back as his son. And it's in that humility that we all can feel God's touch a little bit more so. If we presume on God, God will wait patiently. But we don't want to be a doormat either. That humility is not self-deprecation. It's offering ourselves knowing that we are the child of God, each one of us and we can move forward in that experience. But whatever happens in life, God is never turning away from us. Although the nature of being caught by the ego, it will almost naturally interpret things as that we've been abandoned. But if we pay attention, if we introspect, if we go within, 
we know, we know with certainty that God is always there waiting for us to turn on the light, to come into the deeper experience. And so we have the reading from the Bhagavad Gita that gives us more of a a deeper relationship to where we're going. I was reading in another uh, sloka of the Bhagavad Gita, something that ties in with this, where Krishna is speaking with Arjuna. And he says these poignant words. He said, those who are unmeditative cannot know peace. And for those that lack peace, how can there be happiness? It's a very sweet way of of understanding it. Very real for us to understand that. That if we're not able to go within to find something beyond the surface of our lives, we will be not able to be in the experience of that true peace. We may have fleeting glimpses of peace. Almost everyone may encounter that. But it's fleeting. But what Krishna is saying to each one of us, it is through meditation that we know peace and we know the other qualities of calmness, of joy, of love, of the inner experience of light, the inner experience of sound, of that intuitive wisdom and that power of the energy of the divine flowing through us. These are all sort of on our periphery all the time, unless we have an inner life. It's not as if they're gone from us if we don't have an inner life. But as I use the word periphery, they're on the outer edges of who we are, of our lives. But if we turn within, if we are meditative, then those gifts come to us. And that is when we reach not only the experience of happiness, but the real experience that we're seeking, the bliss of divine consciousness, the bliss of the divine touch in our lives. So for each one of us, what is it that we're tuning into? It may be that we have tremendously magnetic past karma that makes us swerve off the narrow straight pathway to God. I would say that's a guarantee for each one of us that that karma is going to be magnetic at times to take us off course. But that's not the challenge. The challenge is what we do with that. And it begins with some of the more little things in our lives the minor things that we think, oh, I can do that. I'm above that. I'm okay with that. I can go and explore this thing, my senses and or that. But suddenly that's the magnetism that's been lurking, hidden from past karma. But that will happen. That's not something we need to worry about. What we need to do is set in motion an energy flow, a magnetism that's always opening up to the deepest and highest possibility. 
But that's in every moment. That's in every choice. That's in every possibility that we encounter in our lives. And fortunately for us, because God in this parable of the prodigal son isn't ever turning away from us, we just need to awaken the deeper reality. And sometimes, as you and I all know, that's a struggle, just like the prodigal son being beaten up by life, still doesn't know the right way to face. He's in survival mode. But if we can bring even just a kernel of spiritual magnetism into when we feel we're in survival mode, we're on the right path. We're in the right direction that we need to go. Perhaps you haven't experienced this, But there have been times in my life, at the end of the day, when I introspect about what the day was, that um, I've honestly felt that I've really blown it in tears in that experience of how far I stepped away from what I knew was a direction that was like hidden in mist, in a way. And I made choices that weren't the right ones. And primarily, our choices involve other people. Um, But if it weren't for people, then we'd have it somewhere else. (laughs) But I think we all have touched those experiences where we said something in reaction, we said something, perhaps, demanding. We've maybe not even said those things, but had the thought, the critical part of our nature coming out to another person or situation. And it may be that you've wept too because of that choice going in the opposite direction of where we know we should be going. But I've learned this, probably you've all learned this, that in that moment of recognition, in that introspective focus, I know, you all know, in that moment, let me move in the right direction. Because the greater danger is being caught in the cascading forces of you feeling sorry for yourself. You just get wrapped up even more in feeling unworthy, depressed, anxious, whatever it might be. But all we need to do is breathe, relax, and offer up the heart in the best way we can. It may not be much, but it's what we can give at that point, that moment. And that is the gift we can always give back to God. But then we need to have the momentum going stronger. That if we don't have momentum going, then we can get pushed off, swayed, swerving off of that central path. So we have this dual part of our lives. We need to establish the long rhythms of where we're heading. The meditations that happen every day, twice a day, if not more times a day. 
Just let that happen. Some people will say, I've heard this many, many times in counseling people, I just don't do well in meditation, or I'm overwhelmed, I can't meditate with these emotions. But you know, there's a whole world out there, in the medical world, for instance, that teaches meditation to overcome those things that's very successful. I mean, it's a primary tool now for people with psychological problems, with physical problems, with whatever. So it's being used in a way that's really proven itself scientifically to really work. And we're saying, I don't think it works for me. And that's part of what Maya comes in and does. I'm unique, not in necessarily a positive way. I'm unique in really being good at blowing it or whatever it might be. And we've missed the point, as Patanjali talks about. What we need to do is very straightforward and simple, is say, I can breathe more deeply in this moment. I can visualize, even if I don't feel devotion to God or Guru, I can visualize myself in self-offering. If I don't feel that I'm focused enough to meditate, let me just reverberate to resonate with a chant and let that chant be a meditative focus. But I can tell you, Hong Sa is the solution to a lot of the anxiety disturbances that we have. It really is simple. And often I think that's what we kind of misplace is going back to the simplicity of what we've been offered so that our offering is likewise simple. But just going through those simple steps that maybe we've put in the background of how we do a technique like Hong Sa, just very, very simple, just very straightforward. Just be in that flow of resonating with it. And then we find there are many more possibilities. The energy can be going in expansive ways. That is what the parable of the prodigal son is offering us. How do we go forward in positive ways? How do we, as the Gita sloka says, how do we come into that deep calmness again? Simple. Take those steps in front of you. One of the things that I do, which just seems too simple at times, is that before I start my practice of Hong Sa meditation, I do many, 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 even count breathing exercises. You know, rather than getting three or four done and then I'm on to Hong Sa, I'll do 12 or 18. Very calm. Just breathe in to a count, hold the breath to a count, breathe out to that same count. If you're really there just relaxing into that simple thing, Hong Sa becomes the vibrational connection of your true self with the divine. It's not something you're doing anymore. It is your experience that's flowing from the divine through you to that fulfillment. So find the ways that the little things in life become a choice to do what you know is going to bring you God's presence more and more. As Master said, if you don't have devotion, simply pray, bring me devotion. If you don't have calmness, 
find the ways through the breath or you know being in the corpse pose on the floor we've been given just so many ways that we maybe forget because we've applied them in formal ways but lie down in the corpse position and do deep breathing let the chant resonate with you whether you play harmonium or not be in that experience that's the promise of the scriptures that each one of us can come back to our true home in God let's all aspire and then endeavor to make that real. Blessings to you. Draw now.